morning, Faith Church. And it is a good morning. Yoo-hoo. We are here. I am so glad to be here this morning with you, enjoying the sunshine and ready to worship the Lord together. I want to welcome you, whether this is your first time or your 50th time, you are in a place that is home because you are with family. You are with the family of God, and I am excited to be family with you. Wanted to give you a couple announcements. Um, Take a look at your bulletin. We've got lots of things coming up, um, and details are in your bulletin, but I want to highlight a few of those to you this morning. Um, Number one, tonight, tonight we have a special uh, Kingdom Basics class. This is a time where we um, dive a little bit deeper into the Word. It's not so much preaching. It's more a time of teaching uh, as well as question and answers. Uh, We meet right here in the Worship Center, and that's going to be tonight at 6 o'clock. And we are going, Pastor Charles is going to be, not we, Pastor Charles is going to be tackling the gift gift of the Spirit, uh, the gift of speaking in tongues. Um, We're going to talk about what is it, why is it considered weird, and what does scripture have to say about it. Um, This is one of those that really needs some discussion. It is in scripture, and so God has has asked us to pay attention to it. It's not something we can sweep under the rug. It's not something that we can make up our own um, ideas about. We want to know what God says about it and how we pursue him in it. Um, So if you have any questions about that, you want to know what um, Faith Church as a body believes about that gift, please come. Bring your questions and, and, and be ready to learn and dive in with God on that. Um, there's no child care for that t- this evening, but you are welcome to bring your kids. We'll treat it like a family Sunday. I'm planning on bringing my kids because I want them to have a clear understanding on that. So feel free to do that as well. Also coming up, February 17th, which is a Friday night, also here at Faith Church, we're going to be hosting Dr. Dennis Mpebwa. He is a missionary to the United States from Africa. I believe he grew up in Uganda. Yeah, he is from Uganda, but he now resides with his family in Texas. And um, we have uh, a couple um, faith members, uh, Lloyd and Stephanie, that have traveled with Dr. Dennis. Dr. Dennis has come and visited here before. Uh, The last time he was here, we actually hosted him in a home, and it was packed out. There was not an inch of elbow room. So we're spreading out. We're going to do host him and um, see how the Lord wants to move in and through him. Uh, February 17th, um, he uh, has a beautiful gift um, in the prophetic. He has uh, moved in power, uh, and uh, God's grace has been uh, has blown us away through Dr. Dennis here, and so we're excited to host him again. February 17th, 6.30, right here. Um, he will also be preaching that Sunday, the 19th here, so you don't want to miss that. Um, you're welcome. There's a couple flyers on the back connect wall to help you remember that. Last but not least, I am excited to announce Winter Jam. Winter Jam 2023 is going to be February 25th in Greensboro. This is um, an annual tradition for faith. Uh, It is open to anybody and everybody. Um, There's usually a good, uh, good bit of youth uh, that come on this trip. This is where we worship loud. (laughs) This is loud. I've just um, one of my kids' favorite songs right now is uh, "It Might Get Loud." Uh, as we uh, that's the title of the song and as we worship the Lord and I love the lyrics it says um, why can't I praise him as loud as I want 
he's, he's worthy of our volume. He's worthy of our quietness, but he's also worthy of our volume. And so this is one of those places we get to do that. It's only $15. You just bring 15 bucks cash to the door. We just would ask that you register so we know how many carpool um, vehicles that we need. There's a QR code in your bulletin right now. So if you want um, to register for that, just use that QR code to sign up. Uh, we'll be going. It, it was a great time last year. It's um, major, major bands. Uh, uh, in the Christian faith, and it's just a beautiful night um, to get loud and worship our King together. All right, well, if you would stand with me as we get ready to worship our King in a manner that He is worthy in spirit and in truth. All right, well, good morning. We're so glad you're here. Praise team, let's come on up. She's a she had told me she wasn't going to pray, and I didn't get that um, relayed to each of you. But we're going to begin this morning by declaring some great truths from God's Word. Aren't we, Abby? <laughs> so you can read along, but the main thing here is for us to get the idea that Jesus is ruling and reigning. He is supreme. He is in all. He is over all. So let's grasp that truth as we begin to worship him this morning. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. There is one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Well, the Lord has made the heavens his throne, and his kingdom rules over all. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. And I'm going to stop right there. The anything else, that's your pain, that's your struggles, that's your loneliness, that's your depression, that's your sickness. He even rules over the winds and the waves. When he speaks, they obey. Hallelujah. Not only in this world is he ruling, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's us. This is where he is, ruling and reigning. Let's exalt him as being over everything. Thank you. 
when Charles brings the word. I don't know if it's going to happen when you surrender, confess, and repent. Some of you may leave without your breakthrough, but why don't you get one step closer today? Surrender to the Holy Spirit.
someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts the, his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that we truly give it all. That we don't look back. That we don't search for places to rest our heads. That we don't cling to, to, to people, but we cling to you. That anything you're asking will just go, we'll step into it, we'll walk in it. God, let that be real be true for us this morning. Speak to us as your presence resides in this place. Speak to us individually. Speak to us corporately. Father, let us pour our affection towards you. And Lord, I pray this morning for Greenway Baptist Church in Boone. I pray for Tim and Holly, Jackson, Josiah, and Jason. I pray that your presence would be with them as they step into this new thing. Meet with us here meet with them there. You are that big. You are that good. 
Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing. Stay standing. You're going to learn. You'll learn. 50 weeks in the Word each week. One chapter. One verse. One Bible study. There's information on this on the back connect wall. If you want to know what's coming up for the verses for the next few weeks, there's a sheet there that you can grab them and you can memorize with us. So I'm just going to put it up really quick for those of us who have committed to this. If you haven't committed to it, don't feel bad. There it is. Job 38.4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Job 38.4. Now you may be seated. You have to earn your seat now. No. We've been in our Rooted series. We've been talking about healthy balance. We have this week, next week, and then uh, we're taking a break because of Dr. Dennis, and then we'll finish this series on the last week of February. We've been talking about how if you pursue only spiritual discipline without the experience of the person of Jesus Christ, then we will risk having a legalistic mindset. It will become all, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? If I do this, I'm loved. If I don't do this, I'm not loved. And that's not a place that we want to be. But if we only pursue experience without being rooted, then we'll risk being tossed to and fro. We'll be shallow. And experience gives life to discipline. And discipline gives lasting experience to life. And so we're going to continue this morning. I was running into... um, a problem with my theology. Started about three years ago. I started to um, lead people with uh, teams from this church through spiritual freedom, inner healing, deliverance, all of these things under the umbrella of spiritual freedom. And what I found was that until people confessed their sins, there was some sort of freedom, either if it was spiritually, um, uh, demonically uh, holding on to them, or if it was uh, an inner healing, a trauma that needed to be healed, that, that unconfessed sin was a problem. Right? And as soon as we confessed the sin, as soon as it came out, then strongholds would be broken and, and God would move. And it was incredible. It was like clockwork. We'd be there for, uh, I remember one time we were there for hours with somebody, and finally somebody said, Charles, it always comes down to forgiveness and repentance. So what what do we have to do here? I said, okay, let's go back to forgiveness and repentance. But I'm, I'm working with Christians, right? And I'm thinking to myself, well, they've already accepted Christ as Savior. They must have confessed their sins. So how come we have to do it again to break the stronghold? And I don't like having dissonance. I don't like having uh, things that don't connect with my experience and with the word of God. But at that point, I was too busy and I was floundering a little bit. So I was just like, all right, I don't know how it works, but I'm just going to keep going. And so God's kind of brought it back to me in the last six months or so where I, I, I really wanted to figure out what's the problem. What, why is my experience not 100% lining up with scripture? And then I, I realized, well, maybe you're, uh, you're defining things incorrectly. I was like, okay, what does that mean, God? And then uh, what I've been learning and talking with people about, I, I, I've went to trusted people and said, hey, am I going into heresy if I preach this? And I was assured, no, you're not. But I could have been talking to a heretic, so who knows? <laughs> okay, 
So we're, we're going to go with rooted. And I just wanted to use this. I told you it was going to be a whole series, but it's not. It's just going to be two weeks. What's wrong with you? N- not like that, though. Like, like, okay, what's wrong? Like, what's the thing we all deal with? What, what's, what's wrong with us? If I was not being tongue-in-cheek with my title, it would be called Repentance and Confession. Repentance and Confession. And here are the questions that we're going to answer this morning. Is there a difference, biblically, between repentance and confessing your sin? Is there a difference, biblically, in repentance and confessing your sin? And then we're going to get down to some of the basics. What's actually needed to gain salvation and entrance into the kingdom of God? What, 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 do, what, what is our response to what God has already done through Jesus? What is our response in which we experience salvation, in which we enter into the kingdom of God? And what does the believer gain? What do we gain when we repent and when we confess? I just have two verses, and I'm going to get to these a little bit more as we go, but trust me, there will be a lot more Bible verses as we go. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, repent and believe in the gospel. John 8, 1, uh, John, excuse me, 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word, his word, is not in us. And this is the word of the Lord. So the first question we're asking is, is there a difference? Is there a difference between repentance and confessing your sin. And looking at it biblically, the answer that I came to is absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually think, as I've been thinking about this, as I've been wrestling with it, I think that the church has done a disservice to people by making them mean the same thing. If we don't understand what's being said, then, we'll, then, then it's going to lead to all sorts of misunderstanding. I remember I was a, a teenager. I was a, a little bit older of a teenager. I was 16, 17 years old. I don't remember. And I did something wrong. Imagine that. I don't know what it was. I don't remember what it was. But my dad, I was sitting on my couch, and my dad was talking to me. And he was, he was just kind of confronting me about what I did wrong. And I said, I know, my bad. I still say that to this day. My bad, my bad. I messed up, my bad. And I was agreeing with what he said. And he just got mad at me. And he kept, and then he like reiterated his point like more forcefully. And I was like, I know, dad, my bad. And then he kept going and kept going. And I'm like, what? I'm admitting to it. What's wrong with him? Right? And, then I, and then I find out he thinks I'm saying, am I bad? So I don't know where he got the idea that I might be a smart aleck and mouth off. No idea where he got that idea. But he thought, he was telling me what's wrong, and I'm saying, am I bad? Am I bad? Like I was egging him on. When we don't, when we're not hearing what's actually being said, misunderstanding is going to happen. And the Bible presents two different and distinct actions when speaking about repentance and confessing your sin. And I'm going to do my best to break them down and not keep you here for an hour and a half. 
So the word for repentance, this is metanoia. This is the word used for repentance in the Bible. Jesus uses this word, and this word was the whole basis for his ministry. Read every account of Jesus starting his ministry. Mark 1, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, I believe. It says that he went out and he began to preach. What? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, because something is happening right now among you that is going to change everything. And so get on board with what I am doing because of what the Father is doing. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what does this word mean? This word means, metanoia, means to change your mind and your direction or actions. Metanoia is you are walking one way and you do a 180 and you walk the other way. It is saying, I am not going to rely on myself, but I'm going to put everything on Jesus. And then because I have put everything on Jesus, things in my life are going to change. That's why when John the Baptist preached the baptism of repentance, which we'll get to in a sec with him, but he said to the Pharisees, who are you guys? Bear fruit in accordance with your repentance. You say you've changed your mind. Your life should uh, expose that truth or it will deny that truth. But repentance is saying, I am done with my way and I'm going your way. When it's used in the New Testament, it's a call to turn from your way and believe that Jesus is Lord. Here's where it says. He says, and John baptized with the baptism of repentance. What was the baptism of repentance for John? Believe in the one who's gonna come after me. It's Jesus. You wanna repent? It's not about you telling me everything you've done wrong. It's not about confessing to me where you've messed up. It's not about that. The baptism of repentance was to believe in Jesus. That is what repentance is. It is pledging your allegiance to Jesus Christ. It is a life change of moving from yourself and then moving to Jesus. Nowhere, if you look, nowhere is repentance tied to saying that you've done something wrong. Ever. If you want to test me, Write down metanoia, go to, meta, go to Google, type in metanoia, space, and then type in strongs. That's all you need to do. It'll bring up strongs concordance. And you can look up every time the word repent is used in the New Testament. Then, so we have this, this, this view that following Jesus is changing everything about your life to follow him. That's what repentance is. And then confession, confessing your sin, is the word homo legeo. Homo means the same. Legeo means to say. So it's to say the same thing. This word translates to confess. This word means to say the same thing as another or to concede a truth. Somebody comes to you and says, this is true. You say, yes, I confess that that is true. I'm agreeing with what you say. I confess that is true, right? It's to, it's to agree with God that all have fallen short. All have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's to confess to God that yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. 
So th- this is the word. And this is most used in conjunction with confessing that Jesus is Lord. You might think that confessing your sins is all over the New Testament, but it's not. Only two times is it tied to confessing sin. Don't believe me? Feeling uncomfortable with this? Charles, what are you getting at? Go do your homework. Read the New Testament. Underline every time the word your Bible says confess, or we'll see in a minute, acknowledge. Go to Strong's and type in homo legeo and see every time it's used. In fact, if you type in homo legeo, you'll only find it once to confessing your sin. There's the verb form, which is exomologeo, and that is, that's the act of confessing. It is the verb form. It's in James 5 where it says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed, for the prayer of a righteous man has much power in its working. I thought, I thought before I was looking that, that the phrase confess your sins was all over the place. And it's not. It's just not there. And Paul, who explains the gospel in New Testament letters more than anyone else, never uses the phrase. Never. We'll get to the first John passage that I read earlier and James. That's it. That's it. Every other time what you're doing is you are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the confession. The confession is not, here's what I've done wrong. But we'll get to why that's important. That's not what it is. The confession is, yes, you are Lord. I agree with you that you are high above everything else, that you alone are worthy to be placed, that you alone gain my salvation, that your kingdom is the only one that I want to be a part of. We confess that Jesus is Lord. What's needed then for salvation? What must you do to be saved? I didn't take every verse that used that did this, but I didn't cherry pick ones that just make my case. Again, go Google Strong's Metanoia, Strong's Homologeo. Go do your homework. Read your Bible. I'm presenting to you the, the counsel here. What must you do to be saved? John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel, salvation, begins and ends with Jesus and him alone. There is no other God. There is no other deity. There is no good work. There is nothing you can do except go through Jesus. That is the gospel. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. That's where we find our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus said, look, God, my father, he loved the world so much that he's given me up, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. What do you need to do to gain eternal life in this passage? Believe. That's it. Believe. There's no rite, there's no ritual, there's no thing that you must do except believe. Matthew 10.32 says, okay, you believe. Everyone who acknowledges, that's the word homologeo, confesses. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father in heaven. 
So we acknowledge it before people. It's not a personal decision that we keep all to ourselves. I was listening to a, 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 a Christian uh, podcast the guy had put, uh, he, he asked the question, is it getting too easy? Is it, is it too easy to get saved nowadays? Said he went to a church on Christmas Eve and he was talking about the, the evolution of the way that uh, people get saved in church. You know, uh, it started like in the 50s with uh, Billy Graham and Billy Sunday and Dwight Moody. Moody actually started it, all these, the altar call, right? Okay, well, if you wanna be saved, you have to stand up and come down to the altar and we'll, we'll get you saved. And then it was, okay, uh, now if you want to be saved, just stand up where you are. Just stand up where you are, and we'll get you saved. And then it was, okay, bow your head, close your eyes. Now just look at me. Just make eye contact. You see how it gets less and less and less and less scary? And the, the, whole, point was, uh, uh, the whole point was that this man, uh, he went to a church on Christmas Eve, and they said, if you want to be saved, text this number. And then to, not, to make it even easier, the pastor said, everybody get out your phone. So, it, so the people that are texting right now don't feel bad. Is it too easy to get saved? <laughs> but Jesus here says, no, you have to acknowledge it before men. It's a decision that affects you personally, but it's a, it's a corporate thing. It's a celebration. It's a welcome into the family of God. And then Peter, Jesus talks more about it, but I, I only put three. And then Peter, when he's, when he's preaching on Pentecost and he's getting to, to the nitty gritty of what these people must do now, he quotes Joel where he says that everybody, that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, I'm calling on you right now. Save me. Only you can do it. And then just a few verses down, Peter says, they say they're cut to the heart by what Peter says. And they're like, what must we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is Peter's gospel message. Repent. Repent. And then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins will be forgiven and then what? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many, how many gospel pleas have you heard under a tent or in a church or on a revival night that said, hey, do this so that you can receive the Holy Spirit? This is an integral part of what Peter's saying here. Paul and Silas, they're imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And they're singing and they're praying in prison. And it must have annoyed all the other prisoners who are trying to sleep. And they're like, nothing but the blood of Jesus. But obviously they're singing in Greek or uh, Aramaic or Hebrew. The earthquake comes. They're all freed. The jailer sees it. And he's about to fall on his sword because you know he'll be executed anyways for losing prisoners. And they said, Stop. And something in the prayers and the singing and the earthquake and, and, and the integrity of Paul and Silas to say, make this man, they, they lead this man to say, what must I do to be saved? And Paul, the greatest preacher of the gospel to unbelievers ever, says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household, just, just believe. That's all. No rite, no ritual, no getting down on your knees and saying the right prayer. 
just believe that Jesus is Lord. And then maybe the, the, one of the most well-known ones is Paul again. Verse 10, 19, he says, but if you confess your sins, no. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you understand here? Do you understand that none of these verses that talk about salvation, none of them make confessing your sins as a prerequisite for salvation? Read the, read the New Testament yourself. If you're feeling uncomfortable right now and you're like, Charles, I don't know. I'm feeling uncomfortable teaching it, right? <laughs> I've, I've practiced this one more than any other message in the past six months. It's a gift. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's, it's the gift of God. It's a gift. It's there. You don't have to do anything. Just believe. It's like a passport, right? Grace, salvation, it's like a passport. You know, if, you, if you're traveling to another country, you have to stand a lot of times in that really long line and you're waiting and you're waiting and that person calls you up and they say, next, and they're not smiling. It was really, it was really awkward when everybody was wearing masks because they're like, hey, pull down your mask so I can make sure you are who you say you are. I just want to go, <laughs> But I, I never did, because there was a shield in front of us, but we still had to have our mask on, even though there was a sh shield in front of us, but enough about that. So you go up, they're not smiling. They say, where you? They, see, they see where you're from, they say, okay, where are you going, what, why are you coming into the country, vacation, smuggling Bibles, whatever. Salvation's like, like you're walking through the line, and, and, and the cross has given you the passport. And you go up, and they say, okay, where are you coming from? And you're like, back there. And they look around you and say, man, it's really dark back there. You're like, yeah, I know. Where are you going? Well, I'm leaving the kingdom of darkness, and I'm going into the kingdom of the glorious sun. And they say, how, do you, how long do you expect to stay there? Forever. Yeah. Why, why should we let you through? Because the cross? The cross, yeah, and then the, the resurrection. Okay, good answer. And you believe that? You believe it's not just a fable? You don't believe it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual uh, moral story? You believe that Jesus Christ rose? I do. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what it is. Right? So if that's all it is, then the church has to stop making, confessing your sins as a prerequisite for coming to the altar. There's problems with this. And we'll get to the problems in a second because you might be asking yourself, well, what's the big deal, Charles? I, I've, I, I use the words interchangeably and I probably still will out of habit for a while until I reshape my mind, right? I have a process where I lead people through repentance and I'm not actually leading people through repentance. I'm leading people through confessing their sins. But if I say, hey, you have to come confess your sins for this inner healing, for this freedom, people are like, you mean I have to go to confession? No. This is between you and God. I'm just helping you 
go through it. Here's what we see. This is what's needed. Repenting and confessing that Jesus is Lord. Pledging your life's allegiance to Jesus. It's a change of direction of your life and living it to align with Jesus. And as you do this, you verbally declare that Jesus is Lord, the only one with the ability to save you. And this causes you to be born again. Because unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, rebirth, renewal, being born again, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is how we are saved. Because of what he has done So what's the problem? What's the big deal? I went to listen to an evangelist. He's a well-known guy. I'd heard a lot about, excuse me, heard a lot about him. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go check it out. And he knew that there was churches there. There's just a bunch of Christians there, a bunch of believers. And yes, there was probably some unbelievers mixed in, but it was largely a Christian gathering. And he spent a good 30 minutes trying to convince people that they were not saved. I mean, he wouldn't say that's what he was doing, but that's what his teaching was doing. It was convincing people they weren't saved. And he was doing it unbiblically. At one point he said, if you do this, then I don't think you're saved. And I was sitting there and I wanted to jump out of my seat. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, no. And I look back at my, my buddy who was behind me and he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> he was like, I heard it, you heard it, calm down. And I'm like, whoo, whoo. And then he did an altar call. And probably a bunch of people who believed were convinced that they didn't believe and they went up. And that's a problem. That's a problem, right? And, and there are people, right? And so if we just tell people, feel bad about your sin, we should. Don't misunderstand me. Feel bad about your sin. Feel bad about your sin. Feel bad about your sin. You feel bad enough? Now just say sorry and you're saved. That's not it. That's missing it, right? There are so many people who just felt sorry because they did something wrong. They told Jesus that they were sorry, but they never changed their direction or made Jesus Lord of their lives. They went up to an altar and they said, Jesus, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Whew, thanks. Like confession is good for the soul. Like saying you're sorry is good. And Jesus, and they're walking away and Jesus is like, wait, 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 who am I though? Am I Lord? Am I Savior? Am I the one who rose again? And they're walking away. And they think that they're converted, but they're not. Look, it's easy to convince somebody to be sorry about the bad things that they've done. I could sit up here and I could browbeat you. I could talk about all the bad things, all the stuff that you've done, all the things that fall short of the glory of God. I can do that right now, and I could get you feeling really sorry, but that's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
That's you just feeling bad because you know you've done things wrong. I know I've done things wrong. Everybody knows that they've fallen short of some standard that's unattainable on our own. Even if they don't believe in God, they'll say, yeah, I don't feel, I don't feel like I've got it. And it's really easy to scare someone with hell, which is a real place, which is a place of judgment that will happen on the judgment day. It is a real place. And it's really easy to scare someone with that, scare someone with that and to get them to say sorry for doing bad things. I had somebody in this church tell me that when they were uh, seven or eight years old, they had a deacon, not from here, this was another church, kind of, they felt cornered in a Sunday school classroom. And the deacon told this young girl, Right? Can you imagine being a seven or eight-year-old girl and having an imposing male figure standing over you and saying, you're going to go to hell if you don't repent? Do you want to accept Jesus? What are you going to say? Yes, I don't want to go to hell. It's easy to scare some people into uh, hell. But look, look, Jesus never uses hell. He uses Gehenna, which is an analogy, but it's not hell. He doesn't really talk about Hades, which is more hell. Paul, who writes about the gospel in every letter that he writes more than anybody else, he never uses the word Gehenna. He never uses the word Hades. Peter never uses the word Gehenna. He never uses the word Hades. He uses Tartarus to where the fallen angels are. That's a whole nother thing. That's the only uh, uh, place of imprisonment that he says. John doesn't use Gehenna except for in Revelation. He doesn't use Gehenna. He uses Hades, not in his letters, but in Revelation. Hell is never used as a motivator for Paul, Peter, or John to explain to somebody the gospel. Look it up. Read your Bible. You know what's hard? It's hard for someone to abandon their life and their way of thinking and to follow Jesus. That's hard. That's why Jesus says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to salvation. You can bow your heads and close your eyes and look at me. And look, here's, uh, understand my heart this morning. I believe that most of you in here are saved. I've, I've talked to, walked with you guys through enough things. I believe that most of you, probably close to 80 to 90% of you in here are saved. I am not here to convince you that you are not saved. That is not my intention. But I know there might be a few people in here who are hearing this, are really uncomfortable, and are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, okay? If that's you, we'll deal with that later. But if it's not you, then don't, don't make it you. This is not a, a, a place for me to heap on shame or judgment or condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, right? If you've abandoned everything, then you're saved. I'm, not, I'm just passing along information right now. There are some of you who might say, I just said I was sorry. My life never changed. A gospel that focuses on confessing your sins and makes no mention of aligning your allegiance to Jesus creates false converts. In a, in a 1990 interview with PBS, Billy Graham, and I know what toes I'm stepping on here, Billy Graham said that he believed that only 25% of people who came forward at his crusades and his rallies actually were converted. Now, understand, 
Billy Graham's number, 25%, still in the millions. <laughs> like, glory to God, amen, hallelujah. But he admitted, about 25%. More recent studies from other crusades have shown that a year later, maybe 6%. Go forward, tell Jesus everything you've done wrong, and then you're saved. It's not what the Bible says, but it's become very popular. Allegiance to Jesus causes you to be born again, fully renewed as a new creation. And if you truly repent and turn your life to God, here's the flip side of it. You've repented, you've followed God, you've done what you've needed to do to enter into the kingdom of God through his free gift of grace, of salvation, of holiness, of righteousness, of sonship, of adoption, of all those good things. And you think you've confessed your sin, but you haven't. That's the flip side of this. They're two different things. And you've repented and Jesus is your Lord and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit whom he gave you as an inheritance, right? He is the down payment of your future inheritance according to Ephesians 1. But you haven't confessed your sin and your unconfessed sin is leaving you in bondage. That's the flip side of this. You've repented. Like, Charles, I've repented. I don't need to listen to you anymore. Yes, keep listening. Because you need to confess your sins. There's still power in doing that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This verse is written to Christians. Every letter written in the Bible, from Romans to to Jude, all of them are written to Christians, people who have been converted, people who follow Jesus, who are in the kingdom, all of those written to Christians. So when John is writing this to to his people, He is saying, you, Christians, confess your sins. He'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you from unrighteousness. Yes, you're saved, you're signed, you're sealed. All of those good promises of who you are are true and real. But to be be cleansed, keep coming, keep confessing. Because unconfessed sin can cause unrighteousness in your life. That's what John is saying here. If he says confess your sins so you can be cleansed, then the, the true opposite is if you don't confess your sins, you're not cleansed. And this is where, this is where people say, well, Charles, I, I came to Jesus 45 years ago. Okay, you're still in bondage. You're still dealing with this stuff. How about we confess some sin and see if God wants to set you free? And then we would do it and God would set him free. We are holding on to so much. Do I have to confess every little thing? Just about, it seems, sometimes. (laughs) But you have to confess your pride. And when I confess my pride, I don't just say, God, forgive me of pride. I have to tell him, here's how I've been prideful. God, forgive me for the works of the flesh that you've outlined in your Bible. Which ones? These specifically. The spiritual world, the spiritual realm, the, the kingdom of Satan, these things, they all run on legalities. It's a legal system almost. And so they will hold on everywhere they can hold on to. And they hold on to unconfessed sin and unforgiveness. 
like I said in the beginning. And they have, the, the, they can until you confess it. The only sin that can still harm you is unconfessed sin. This is, this is the problem that we, run our, that we find ourselves in if we think that repentance and confession are the same thing because we say, oh, I repented way back when. Good, have you confessed your sin? Because that bitterness, that root of bitterness, that anger, that fear, that shame, all of that stuff that is at work in you, that's keeping you bondage, that's holding you hostage, that's because you haven't confessed your sins. This is what James 5 is all about. And the prayer of faith will save. That's the word sozo, save, heal, deliver. The prayer of faith, this is weird, will save the one who is sick. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another. So James says, look, the prayer of faith will raise you up. If you committed sins, you will be forgiven. And so in order to see the forgiveness, in order to see the raising up, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed, which is the word iomai, which means physical healing. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. So the prayer of faith will sozo you and then after confession, you could be iomai, physically whole. It is very unpopular to say that maybe you're having physical uh, consequences in your body, infirmities, sicknesses. Maybe you're having those because there's some sin in your life. That's very unpopular to say, but I'm saying it. There are so many things that, that we could be delivered of that lead to real physical healing. I was going through this with somebody a few weeks ago and there was a spirit attached to some physical maladies that they had. The, the, uh, uh, we found out that, that the spirit was attacking their knees, making their knees. They, they had no cartilage, bone on bone, Got, they hurt. Every, she's like, it's, it, this was in January. It's rainy. It's cold. My knees are killing me. And so we got rid of the spirit, and then I prayed over her knees. I didn't swell up with faith. I, I had faith, but it was there. And I prayed, and I prayed, and she left. She called me two days later, and she said, Charles, my knees feel spongy again. It's been cold, it's been rainy, there's no pain. It's gone, it's done. Because it's even, it's even, but see, she was willing to, to acknowledge the source of it because it's even, it's even less popular to say, hey, maybe you have some physical pain because there's some demonic attachment there. Even though you can read about it in Luke chapter 13 with the woman who's bent over at the waist and Jesus casts out a spirit of infirmity. She's a daughter of Abraham, so she believes that Jesus is the Messiah and he casts out the spirit of infirmity and she stands up straight and walks away. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. Here's the breakdown before I end. Repentance. Change one's mind and actions. It's needed for salvation. It transfers you into the kingdom and it brings true life change. Confessing. 
to acknowledge and admit your sin. It's not needed for salvation, but it follows your life change. And it might be needed for your healing, whether that healing is physical, spiritual, or emotional, right? This is what God does when we confess. Healing is brought when we confess. And that, that, might, that might be physical. It, it might be spiritual. It might be emotional. But getting it out there, confessing it to someone else. Why do you have to confess it to someone else? I don't know. That's the way God set it up, though, so I'm going to do it. But there's power in the body working together. Why talk about this? Why? Because I don't want us to be leaving anything on the table. There's a restaurant in Charlotte. It's called Chima. I had some good friends take me there for the first time a few years ago. You walk into Chima, and there's this huge salad bar. And I don't say this ever, but it's a really good salad bar, right? Those words don't, because there's more than just salad. There's like, there's like charcuterie meats and cheeses and dips and soups and all this stuff. And you walk in, and the first time I was like, oh, this is so good. I want all of it. So I got too much. Because I went in with an empty stomach, and I put like a quarter of it full with the salad. Because here's what they do at Chima. They bring you meat. Oh, to your table on metal skewers. And they come, and they set it on your table. And they ask you stupid questions, like, would you like to try it? Like, yeah, I want to try the sirloin. I want to try the ribeye. I want to try the jalapeno ribeye. I want to try, I guess I'll take the chicken, but can you bring some more of that filet over as well? And they're there and they just slice it. They just slice it and you get it. And going in, I've been there a few times, a couple times since, going in, I know the deal. I know how I'm going to feel when I walk out of there. I, I understand it. And it's a price I'm willing to pay, <laughs> right? When they come around, I, I, look, it's just like a, okay, you know how in, in school they told you just say no to drugs? That, that does not apply to meats at Chima, right? <laughs> so they bring it over. Do you want this? Yes, give it to me. Do you want this? Yes, give it to me. Until I feel like I'm about to burst and it's beautiful, <laughs> right? But now follow me. This is what Jesus does. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what God does. He comes to you and says, do you want this? Yeah, I do. Okay, do you want this? Yeah, I do. Do you want some more of this? Yeah. You want to try this? Yes. Do you want to do this? Yes. Give it all. Give it all to me. I'll do whatever it takes for me to take it. I'll pay, right? Chima's super expensive, right? I'll pay whatever is necessary, God. I'll take whatever I need to take. Just give me more of you. Just give me more of you. I'm not leaving anything here on the table. I'm not leaving anything to chance. I want you. Amen. He's far too good and far too awesome for us to miss what he wants to do in your life. Because you're sitting there saying, well, I don't want to confess my sin to somebody else. It's embarrassing. It's difficult. It's hard. Everything's been confessed to me. Everything. Think of the worst thing you can think of. I've heard it. 
confess your sins to one another so that you will be healed. Fuck. This isn't, this isn't about saving face. This isn't about wearing the mask. This isn't about keeping up appearances so that everybody thinks you're a good, nice Christian and you can walk into the church and you can feel good about yourself. This is about God totally, radically transforming you. But you have to confess your sins. Well, I repented. I don't care right now if you've repented. Did you confess your sins? Well, Charles, all I did was confess my sins and go repent. Like, do that one first, then come for this one. Change your heart, change your mind. Confess that Jesus is Lord, and then confess your sins. If you're here and you've been convicted, then settle accounts. Settle accounts. Jesus wants all of you, all of you. He wants your whole life's allegiance towards him. He is the one you follow, him alone. You get it. That's what we do when we repent. And he wants to cleanse you, every part of you, of your unrighteousness. He wants to keep you going through that process. He wants to keep you going through it. He wants it all. Well, I'm afraid. And that's not of God because God didn't give you a spirit of fear. I feel ashamed. Well, that's not from God because there is no shame or condemnation. I feel powerless. Well, that's not from God because he gave you a spirit of power. But will he still love me? Yes, because he gave you a spirit of love. I feel like I'm going crazy. Welcome to the club, but he gave you a sound mind. Jesus wants all of you. Don't leave anything on the table. It costs, right? Salvation's free, but sanctification costs. Salvation's a gift, but sanctification's a fight. Salvation is by grace, and sanctification is by war. Will you fight? Stand with me. Settle accounts. That's all I'm asking this morning. Settle accounts. If you're in here this morning and you felt that uncomfortableness, you felt that vulnerability, you felt that maybe I, I, I just confessed my sins, I just said I'm sorry, I never actually followed Jesus. Settle accounts today. And I'm not gonna do the every head bowed, every eye closed, look up at me, text me, here's my phone number. You come up here and you get prayer. I'll pray for you. Pat and Amy are on the ministry team this morning. They'll pray for you. And ask. Father, just make me feel born again. Make me feel born again. If that's you, do not delay. If you've done that, which I told you, I believe most of you have, and maybe you're feeling some conviction, but it's not around repentance. It's about confessing your sin. Come up here and start confessing it to God. Be detailed. Be distinct. Start doing it. And then if you want more, you can come to me. We'll go through a process. You can confess your sins. 
You can be healed physically, spiritually, emotionally. God, you are so, so good. God, what's what's stopping? What, what's stopping? What's flowing? What, what's stopping? Everything. We have to confess. We have to repent. To do that, if we want revival, revival starts in you. If you want revival, it starts when you bow the knee. It starts when you confess the sin. It starts when you go through. Father, open up your heavens right now. Open up your heavens. Open up your heavens. Open up your heavens. Open up your heavens. Amen. This is going to seem weird. We normally play a song and everybody sings. But I feel like we need to get down to the base roots a little bit. So we're going to sing this the first time, the verse and the chorus with no music. Let's start. A thousand times I've failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm called in your grace, everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all fame in my heart and my soul i give you control consume me from the inside out lord let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. A thousand times I fell Till your mercy remains Should I stumble again Still I'm called in your grace Everlasting Your light will shine When all else fades Never ending Your glory goes beyond all things My heart and my soul I give you control, consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace, to love you from the inside out. 
believe there's two things that God's especially focusing on this morning. I feel like there's someone here, and it's a woman, and you're dealing with decades-long bitterness, holding on to it, it's affecting you, you know it, you're bitter towards husband, family, everything, you're bitter towards it all. I want you to release it and let it go. So that's you. You can come up for prayer you now or later. One other person privately. And the verse that kept coming to my mind this morning when I was talking about the physical healing, it's the same verse I've prayed for the people before. It's the verse that hope deferred makes a heart sick have heart problems, it's because you've lost hope. I'd like to pray for you for that as well. Right. 
I'll sing this with. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Oh, Jesus, saying that you're gonna come. Across as the
us forward. Give us the longing and the desire, longing and the desire for all of you. Father, make us a people that say whatever's necessary for you, whatever's necessary for your glory, your goodness, your presence, your, your manifest power, whatever it is, we'll do it. bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. If you have children downstairs, go grab them quickly. You can come back up and hang out, but grab them. And we'll see you tonight for Kingdom Basics, 6 o'clock here in the Worship Center.